everyone, it's Nikki. Thank you for joining me today for Widowhood Podcast. It's been a little while. I've been flat out with semester one of this year, and now I've got a few weeks off before semester two starts. So I'm loving my studies and I'm excited for the new semester. And I'm also coping really well with life, which is great. So I guess I've kind of put a pause on podcasts for a bit. Mel and I have a potty in the pipeline though, so I'll be back with her soon making a new podcast together. But today, I'm very excited because I have an interview with a fellow widow, Marie. Now, I met Marie online in the Aussie Young Awesome Widow group a few months ago, as she quietly shared a very personal story from the internationally popular media company, Mamma Mia. She wrote this amazing article. I just loved it, and I will add the link in the in the show notes, of course, for you all to read if you haven't read it yet. And I'll let her tell you all about it and her other writings in a minute. So Marie and I began chatting thanks to her initial post. And I learned that she's actually created a movement called Loving Life After Loss. It isn't easy to speak about death, loss and widowhood day in and day out. And it takes a special person to wanna work in that space and hold others up while on our own journeys. Today, we're lucky enough to have secured this interview, and this is Marie. She's a TED Talk speaker, a book author, podcaster, and among many other things, and I'm excited to hear her journey and what drives her to help others. So welcome, Marie, and thank you for being so kind to join us today. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me and for the lovely introduction. I feel so honoured. Thank you, Nikki. Thanks for coming in. So um, firstly, could you share your story of being widowed? Yeah, how many hours have we got? Uh, not hours, but you know, <laughs> the condensed version. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So uh, my story of being widowed is probably a very um, atypical one, I would say, because of the way that I dealt with it. So I'm going to get you through the nutshell version, and then please feel free to ask me detailed questions wherever you want to. The nutshell version was that I actually moved to Australia in 2004, after seven years of knowing this is the place where I belong, this is the place I need to be, I finally moved here for good. And then a year after, I met Rob. So when we met, it was just that feeling that everybody describes as when you know, you know. And I always thought, what are people on about when they say that? You know, when you know, you know, what, what is that for a stupid thing to say? Excuse me here. Uh, but when I met Rob, I was like, oh, that's what they're talking about. I just knew. And if somebody would have told me, you're moving to Australia, 10 months later, you meet the man of your dreams. And another 10 months later, you're married. I was like, oh, you're right. As if, you know. And I always said, if he's Mr. Right, he'll still be Mr. Right in three to five years. Why rush? Yet Rob proposed to me five months after we met. And my answer was, of course, you know, it was so beautiful, actually, to, to have this connection and to feel that you found that person. And Rob and I really were that couple. You know, everybody uh, mentioned us as that couple. And, oh, you wouldn't understand, you know, when they were sitting there bitching about their husbands. Like, you wouldn't understand. You've got Rob, you know. <laughs> You said as if that was something bad. I, I was madly in love. I just knew I had found my person and uh, Rob would just put me on a pedestal at any chance that was presented to him. And uh, yeah, we had, we got married, as I said, 10 months after we met and had two boys, two and four years after, Flynn and Jed. And we lived a really, really happy lifestyle, you know, close to the beach, um, spent a lot of time at the beach. Rob really, really loved the water. He was an Aquarian. So 
yeah, we, yeah, he was in the prime of his life, 45 years old, Mm -hmm. fit, surfer, loved life, went on a business trip and never came home. So Rob actually passed from a brain aneurysm. There was no pre-warning. There was no heads up, nothing. He just, I have this vision of him being unplugged from life and that's exactly how he passed. So that was our story in a nutshell. Well, thank you for sharing your story. And I'm so sorry that your love, Rob, has died. I just noticed that we have so many similarities with how we met. We moved overseas and met our partners that yeah. we were expected to meet in this foreign land. Amazing. And with the love of our lives. And we've both been widowed, which is yeah. you know, just awful. But um, how did you cope in that early widowhood? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. My story is probably a bit atypical because most of the time people would expect or society like we know it would suspect to uh, for me to fall apart and, uh, you know, be in absolute devastation. And I'm not saying I wasn't devastated. Please don't understand that wrong in any way. Yet I was lucky enough that um, I talk about the gifts in adversity. And for me, one of the gifts in adversity when I lost my dad really early, so I was 20 when I lost my dad, it's going to be 30 years this year, um, that I realized that I needed to say to people what I needed to say. So my gift from that, from not having the chance to say goodbye to my dad, from not knowing that he would pass, that I lived a life of no regrets. I literally lived a life of no regrets. That was my gift from that. And I lived that with Rob to the T. Like we really, there was not one day where we didn't tell each other how much we loved each other. Not from that urgency of, oh, what if I can't tell you one day? But from that, if I don't tell you, I'm going to burst, you know, from that space. And um, we really talked about things that were need to be on the table, you know, and, and um, we were also lucky enough that we had the odd conversation, you know, when there's like an accident, you drive past a fatal accident, it hits you, it is tragic, yet you do move on because you don't know the people. So it doesn't really touch you that deeply, it touches you in the moment. And sometimes it makes you think about your life yet it doesn't do much more than that usually. For Rob and I, it triggered uh, some of these conversations where we talk about, so what what do you do if something was to happen to me, you know? And both of us said, and I still remember one of those conversations very vividly, we were laying in bed um, and we had said goodnight to the boys already and we were chit-chatting about an accident that happened that day when he was coming home from work and it triggered that conversation. And I remember uh, saying to him, babe, I love you so much. I cannot imagine if something was to happen to me that you would stay alone for the rest of your life. I want you to take the boys and meet someone and create the happiest life that you possibly can. Please don't spend the rest of your life crying for me. I'll be in a great space either or. So please just really live your life. And he said the same thing to me. And we truly wanted that for each other. So I consider myself lucky that we had these conversations even though back then we thought it was theory, we had no idea that that would actually happen to us. And um, and that's what I did. So in those early days of widowhood, I knew instantly that this was my go-to, that I had to and wanted to choose love and life and happiness and healing and all these things for our boys and myself. And that this was my most beautiful way of honoring him, of honoring his legacy to live the life that we had because he couldn't anymore if that makes sense so was it easy nope was it clear 
absolutely I knew what I had to do and I just reminded myself every single day and it did get easier because once you put your focus on something that's that's all there is so you had limited support around you I'm assuming obviously family maybe not in the country but his family was here did you have close support or did you find that you were sort of with your own mindset you were you had enough power to kind of move forward so in my mindset I, I didn't feel very supported I have to say because people didn't expect that people didn't know what to do with that as I said <laughs> you know they thought I was too positive or um, maybe she's still in shock or maybe she's in denial and all these things you know I could see the puzzled look on people's faces when I was happy and I understand that this is not the usual go-to. And I also understand um, when you see me, I don't look like the typical widow that you would expect, you know. So I understood all that, yet I had not enough energy left to worry about what other people thought or judged or decided in their mind what was right or wrong because I was the one living my life and I was the one who was married to Rob and I was the one who knew what Rob and I had wanted for each other. So who was I to question that? And who was I to allow other people in to judge us without even knowing us? And in terms of his family, um, I could see how hard it was for them to understand or to support me in that journey. Yet I did receive a lot of support from them in their own way, how they could support me. And I know there is so much love and respect from Rob's family and uh, they are still in our lives very much so I really make sure that we do stay connected yet I could also understand why it was hard for them to accept my way of living my choices that I made for us you know for the boys and myself and I knew I made it in Rob's honor and I knew that they were trying to understand but I also understand why it was hard for them to really get it I really do understand that it's a very different scenario. It's their brother. It's their son that we are talking about here. It was my husband and they were not the ones having these conversations. So there's a lot of acceptance and wanting to be happy for me. I feel that, but there's also a lot of, I have no idea how you can do that, you know? Mm. So, and I understand that. Mm. So the podcast audience can't hear me squealing in the background and clapping my hands and it's just so wonderful to hear such you know someone living their life you know yeah. and it doesn't minimize the love we have for our late husbands oh, it actually I think Perfect. it almost accentuates it and shows yeah. how much love you have yeah. so Marie talk tell me about this huge trip you took with your kids because I know traveling by yourself is big enough let alone I can imagine in the midst of widowhood just can you tell us about this yeah trip? so Rob and I actually had planned and I'm looking over to my wardrobe because I'm actually in my in my master bedroom at the moment because it's so much warmer here than in my office <laughs> and on my wardrobe I still have the entire itinerary I have pictures of everywhere we wanted to go Rob and I wanted to travel around the world for an entire year in 2019 and not only had COVID had different plans for 2019 but you know the well the universe had different plans for Rob and I uh, in 2018. Rob passed in 2018 midway. And so that trip never happened. Rob and I wanted to take a year off where we would homeschool the boys, travel around the world and work online. And we had started with all our preparations for it. Yet, as I said, Rob passed and that was so unexpected. Mm -hmm. So a couple of months after that, I knew 
that I needed to do something. I felt that I wanted to take them on a trip. And um, I started thinking about our itinerary and I was like, my first stop would have been South America. I've never been to South America, always wanted to go. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to do that um, on my own with two young boys. You know, I knew there were certain countries where I would probably not travel to on my own with the boys being so little. So what I did instead, rather than looking at everything that I can't do, I thought, what can I do? What can I do on my Brilliant. own? How would I go? And, and this is an overall thing, an overall approach, you know, rather than what, what is over in my life, looking at what can I do? What are the opportunities? What are, what's my blank canvas showing me here or uh, offering me here? So I decided to do the trip in, in two months because I also knew that it was no possible way that I wanted to homeschool two boys on my own for an entire year. No way, Jose, thank you. <laughs> and uh, I, I wanted to keep that little bit of sanity that I still had left at that stage. So, um, yeah, so I came up with a trip where we visited, I think, uh, nine countries in seven weeks. Or was it seven countries in nine weeks? No, I think it was nine countries in seven weeks. So we did, uh, I think it was about 60 days around the world. And I absolutely loved it. It meant for us to be away for all of the first milestones, the first Christmas and New Year's and birthdays without Rob. And it meant for us to create new and happy memories. And we bonded and we traveled so well together. It was the most amazing thing I could have ever done. We still talk about that trip now. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> so, Marie, I can see just so much positivity and, you know, so much love. And mm. I know that that's like the base of everything that you do. Yeah. And you came back and you created a movement. Yeah. So can you tell us about how you're thriving in widowhood? And I guess part of that is how you've begun this movement. Mm. That was a bit of a whirlwind because before I went on the trip, like literally a couple of weeks before we embarked on this amazing journey, I decided to write a book about our story. You know, I wrote a book about how I met Rob, how we fell in love, how we created our dream life and dream family, and then how he died and how I dealt with it. And it was more like a bit of a love legacy for Rob. It was more for, you know, one day maybe the boys can read the story and maybe along the way I can give some people hope that read the story that there is a different way. So I knew I had to share it. And what I didn't know or had no idea was that the book didn't only make it to an Amazon number one bestseller, but it actually ranked in the top 100 of Australia. Wow. I was blown away. I had no idea that this could happen and what that would mean. And while I was traveling around the world, I was actually back in Vienna where I was born. There was something else born, the idea to do something else with that, something bigger with that. I thought, I've got something the world needs. I need to do something with that. So when I came back home from, from traveling with the boys, they went back to school and I sat there and I thought, let's do this. And I contacted a mentor that I'd been following for a while that's all specializing in building movements, building tribes. And I reached out to him and said, this is my story. I want to do something. And he said, yep, let's. Um, and literally a week after chatting to him, I sat in my first um, workshop and recorded my first video, my welcome video for the group. I gave it the same title like the book, Loving Life After Loss, because I thought it's so perfect. Why reinvent something that, that is so picture perfect? And um, 
within the first couple of weeks so we had hundreds of people come in at, at the end of the year there was like just under a thousand then the first article came out in Mamma Mia and it doubled the audience and meanwhile there's like three and a half thousand people or something in in the movement and I went on to create healing journeys and programs and retreats there's one retreat coming up shortly and I, I just love the work that we do there because it's literally 180 degrees transformation that happens there like people really gain new perspectives and tools how they can actually face what's in front of them with the sense of opportunity rather than my life's over you know is loving life after loss for widows or is it for all people that have lost well I originally addressed widows because that's who I am and that's what I could relate to the most and um, here's one little secret I'm going to share with you my biggest fear when I first started this and I, I kid you not like I remember opening the doors to this I felt like jumping off a cliff and growing my wings on the way down like seriously and um, <clears throat> I remember that my biggest fear was that I thought what if somebody comes into my movement who has lost a child rather than a husband how would I deal with that can I even help them and I questioned it back then now I don't anymore because back then I was still differentiating between uh different forms of grief and what is worse and what is and I don't do that anymore and funny enough or maybe not so funny but interestingly enough um a dad who had lost his son had given me that shift in perspective mm -hmm. and what I learned from that when he shared with me that he said well who am I to say that my loss is the worst or worse than yours and I loved his perspective mm -hmm. and what I learned from many conversations that I now had with parents that lost their children and widows and and all sorts of losses that the healing is never in the comparison mm -hmm. The healing is always in the how can we support each other in understanding what others feel, you know, and even if our loss might be completely different than theirs or mine might be different to yours, even though we're both widows, uh, you know, who am I to know or to say I know what you went through just because we're both widows. Our stories might be so different, even though the, the circumstances might, might sound similar. So to cut to the chase, we need to support each other. We need to listen to each other. We need to hold space for each other. I want to listen to your story so I know where I'm picking you up from, not so I know where I keep you stuck in the pain. And that is my intention, to oh. help you heal, you know. Yeah. Your loss is the biggest loss is the way I kind of say it. You know, mm. we all have a different loss. It could be a pet. Like for me, I, I don't have a pet, so it's hard to understand. But for that person, that's their biggest loss. Mm. Mm. Okay, now you just hinted, you gave us a little flavor that there's a, about these retreats. Mm. How did this all evolve? And could you share with us a little bit about what happens on a retreat? I would say most of the stuff that I offer evolved from a hint of intuition. <laughs> Everything started with an intuition. And I remember opening the doors to Loving Love After Loss, the movement, and I remember saying to my mentor back then, I'm going to run a retreat in November, 11th of November. That's the date I chose. And I had no idea why and what I'm going to offer and who for and, and what exactly. But I just knew it was such a knowing and not I, I want to. It was like, I know I'm going to run a retreat then. And I did. And um, everything else along the way, the healing journeys, the programs, everything 
what I do, how I offer it, all evolved throughout my own um, trial and error, you know, what worked for me, what didn't. And everything that worked for me, I really felt compelled to share and to teach others. And I said, here's a shortcut. And it's not about so much shortcutting uh, grief just for the sake of speeding up the healing. I don't believe in that. But I do believe in sparing people pain that is not necessary, if that makes sense. It might sound like it's the same, but it's not. The intention is different. And I just want people to find a way where they can look at their adversity. And rather than keeping stuck in the pain, and that's all they see, that's all they see is the loss and the pain. They see the hidden gifts in it the beautiful things that they have gained from being in that relationship or even the beautiful things they have gained from working through an adversity like that. And when I look at my hidden gifts, like one of them is certainly, I found an enormous strength throughout that process that I never expected to ever experience. And also my intuition has gone through the roof. I was always quite an intuitive person, but after Rob's passing, it is like this constant inner guidance that is always there that I can tap into at any given stage. I used to question it a lot. I have to say, you know, when I was in my beginner's shoes, I was like, you sure, you sure? (laughs) And now I'm like, oh yeah, I'm so used to that. It's just intuition. It's there. I just follow it. I know now that I can trust my intuition and that's really beautiful. So I want people to experience the same. I want people to experience harnessing their gifts that they receive through their um, adversity and everybody's gift might be different, but I can see there are similarities around strength, around intuition, around guidance that a lot of people experience. It's not the same for everyone, but there, there seems to be similarities around these three things. I've noticed that over the years. And I can imagine people want to spend time with you. You know, you're... You're so delightful that I can imagine this. Like put all, put aside all the other things. You you know, yeah. I just remember the phone chat we had in the car. Yeah. And you were you know you're driving along. We're having this amazing conversation. <laughs> you're driving and you're all passionate and you know it was just amazing. I can just imagine a lot yeah. of people want to spend time in that in that space. Yeah. So I love doing that. I love sitting in space with people. I love holding space for people and, and the most beautiful and uh, yeah, potent way to do that is at the retreat. You know, the healing journeys are beautiful. I love them. The, the programs are beautiful. I love them. I catch up with people on Zoom, but sitting in circle with someone in person is just the most beautiful way of doing that. And I understand not everybody can do that because at the moment, my retreats are only available in Australia. Yet eventually it will go global when the boys are a bit older, not, not quite yet. Mm. Mm. I think there's a lot, there's a need for it definitely. And I'll find out information and share it on my um, page and stuff for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually met because of the article that you uh, wrote for Mamma Mia about mm-hmm. a quite contentious topic. Yes. And I remember when you posted it to the little group, you were sort of, I say quietly, I don't know a better word to say, you just kind of like, I may have written this here if you want to read it. And then you ran away, which was kind of funny now in your personality. But if, I love you, it. if you could just share um, what it was about and how it was to write that. Absolutely. So it, it's really funny how that came about, and I love hearing your perception of it. And uh, I think you are not too far from the truth here, really. Because the thing is, I already mentioned that um, I had an article in Mamma Mia in the very first year when I started Loving Love After Loss. And then I did a follow up article, I think a few months or about a year later, I can't remember exact date. 
And then um, a friend actually tagged me in a shout out from Mama Mia, who said, we are looking for young widows to talk about the topic of dating after loss. And she tagged me. And then she sent me a message afterwards and said, oh, by the way, I'll, I'll tag you that. I hope you're okay with that. And I was like, <gasps> okay. Um, because here's this thing, like I, I did go into a relationship after Rob died and I knew that a lot of widows really need to talk about that. It needs to be a topic that we can openly speak about, in particular when we are young widows. But it's not, I just, I don't want to just re restrict it to age, but I'm just saying in particular, you know, the more life you have ahead of you, uh, the less you do want to spend it on your own. I understand there are certain factors that all come into play. So I, I'm being quite generic here. So when Mama Mia then addressed me and said, hey, you've been tagged, you know, uh, and we know that um, we had articles about you in the past, you'd be a perfect candidate. Would you speak about it in a podcast? And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. And, and I did that. <laughs> I remember the next day when it came out, another friend tagged me and said, oh my God, I was listening to this podcast and I thought Marie would be so perfect to speak on that. I need to send it to you. And then all of a sudden I heard your voice and I couldn't believe that you actually spoke on that. So it was really nice. And it, it caused a lot of... Um, attraction I should say you know people really needed and wanted to hear about this topic because it's such a taboo to talk about dating after loss and that was the reason why I felt like I need to speak up about this I really need to because this is who I am you know I have taken on this sort of leadership role so I really need to step into that and own that because I have experienced it and I know what it brings up the fears the love the hope the you know that the second chance sort of feeling there, there's so much that comes with that and um, so I decided to speak about it the day after they said oh my god that was fantastic can you write a follow-up article on that and I did. And the day after, Channel 7 News reached out to me and said, hey, Marie, can we write an article about you in our lifestyle section? Because this is a topic we really need to talk about. I just couldn't believe what happened thereafter. I could see how people needed to hear that. They needed permission to speak up about something that everybody else tries to shut down or ignore. And it is an important topic to speak about. Yes. And thank you for speaking about it. I think I haven't delved into that world yet, um, yeah. but I do think that there's a lot of taboo. There's a lot of um, just stigma. I think people yeah. think that, oh, if she's dating, she's fine. She's over it. Yeah. And, you know, I yeah, it's just, it's also inside the widow group. I feel like there's a, there's a bit of judgment that happens mm. between, within widows that sort of, oh, well, that's very soon or, you yeah. know. But anyway, people talking soon about or not soon is really inter interesting because, you know, I feel the perfect time to start dating is when you feel that you're ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there's no better time, you know, there's no better time. And uh, to me, I felt because of all the work that I do and because of all the healing that I had done, um, obviously it was a very different time frame to what people would have expected. So for me, it was 17 months after Rob died that I, I don't even want to say that I met someone because I hadn't met that person already like nine months prior. Um, but there was no spark. There was no, I was not open to it because I wasn't ready. And when I was ready, then I noticed him. And then there was no way back, you know, there was this, <laughs> whoa, 
how could I have not seen this? You know, this is amazing. And I love that it happened that way. And I love that it happened with somebody that knew everything about me, that knew everything about my movement. There was no awkwardness about this, ooh, I'm a widow, or I have to share my story. He already knew all of that. That made it really easy for me. And um, and the other thing is, um, there was something else I wanted to share. Hmm, it slipped my mind now. Anyway, it might come back to me, but it was something around the timing when when it feels uh, right and ready. And yeah, anyway, I might come back to it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, okay. And you've also presented a TED Talk, which of course I fangirl over because I think it's super cool. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> it's called Redefining Our Image of a Widow, which as a fellow young widow, I feel like it's people like you that it's sort of trailblazers you know there's this there's this view of what a widow should look like how we should dress how we should talk how we should mourn how we should grieve and like we just said before too soon not soon enough oh my god she's doing that can you believe she did this so do you think after doing all this media stuff and putting yourself out there and being vulnerable Mm. do you think Australians are open to hearing stories of death and widowhood like what's been your general reaction to the the non-wids the non- Grievance. So the short answer is yes, absolutely. Wonderful. Um, then I want to just quickly sidetrack because it just came up what I yep. forgot to say. So yep. I can finish that off and let yep. go of that thought. For me, I had done so much healing. And fact is, though, that there's a certain amount of healing that you can only do once you are in a new relationship. There are certain things that you can only heal in the next relationship that will come up when you are in another relationship. There are certain fears that come up, etc. So again, I was lucky enough that I had a partner on my side that really held space for me for that. That was really open to uh, holding space for me in that level of healing. So that was amazing. Absolutely beautiful. So, thank you for sharing that because I've yeah. actually never heard that. Yeah, so thank and you. it really is. There, there is a level that you can't just heal that in theory. You can only heal that when you're confronted with that fear that comes up, which does come up when you meet somebody new. There is, I don't even want to say it might, because I know there is. It's an absolute fact. When you go into a new relationship, the fear hits you of what if I lose you too? It okay. is an absolute real fear that you have because you have experienced it. So it's important to address that. It's important to be aware of it and to have the right person by your side who is gentle and beautiful enough to hold space for you. So I was very lucky in that sense. That's Coming great. back to your question, is yeah. Australia ready for it? Yes, absolutely. Because the thing is, I had so many times where I shared something on a very personal level, and I'm not even talking about dating, that was the next level personal. <laughs> but you know, the whole idea of how we addressed it, how we dealt with the healing journey, how we dealt with Rob's passing. And every time when I shared something, or I put something controversial out there that was not aligned with how society expected me how to grieve, doing the TEDx talk about redefining our image of a widow all these things I was always thinking how is the world going to react to that I stopped doing that meanwhile but that was at the beginning I was always like oh what are people going to think and every time when something was posted that was very controversial I also wrote one piece I'm going to get back to that later but uh, uh, one piece that was very controversial um, and uh, I remember how I was really scared about sharing that and as soon as I hit the share button, 
I was bombarded with a wave of feedback of gratitude. And I was so surprised. And every time I was like, I'm not sure if that's too controversial, if that's too this, too that. Every single time I got proved wrong. And literally with either no negative feedback whatsoever, not even one person, or even on the bigger level when Channel 7 wrote this article about me and I was like, that's big, Channel 7, and everybody's going to see it. I had one single comment out of hundreds and thousands of people who have seen it. There was literally thousands of people who have seen that in the first couple of days. And only one single comment that was like, how dare you date after your husband died? And I want to say before anybody goes like, how dare him? It was a very different religious background. And I totally understood that. And I said, "I, I can understand why you say that, because we come from a different religious background and I fully honor that. So that was the only one. And that was absolutely fair enough because he was brought up with a very different religion so you'd be surprised really you'd be surprised when you when you stand in your truth and in particular when it comes from a space of love that's the most important thing Um, I have really not ever experienced anything negative where I thought yeah I shouldn't have done that you know I shouldn't have said that that's good. I'm glad the Australian public's, you know, open to hearing it and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure the international public's the same. Yeah. So um, what's next? What's next, Marie Alessi? What's mm. next? <laughs> what's next? So for me, I feel that this year was all about um, putting everything that I've created and, and done and invented <laughs> Um, there was so much that I've just done through intuition, but I felt like it was time to put that all into a structure. So at the beginning of the year, I've, um, I've written and published my second book, Happy Healing. And, uh, and then straight after, literally three weeks after I did my TEDx talk. So I was like, oh my God, that was already like a massive start. You know, the 222 start, the, the book was published on the 2nd of the 2nd, 22, and the oh, TEDx wow. talk was published on the 22nd of the 2nd of 22. So it was really like the full on 222 portal, uh, massive, productive for me. Um, and then I realized I really need structure for that. So the, the healing journeys that I used to run on and off in the group, and then I posted it in a group and then I did this and that, I actually now put it in a structure where people can, uh, I wanted a very, very low ticket price offer where everybody can afford it and can just do it in a DIY. So that is affordable and it is available. Uh, people, I'm, I'm literally going to name it, it's it's seven US dollars for, for the healing journey. So it's a very low interest start for people to get that um people who want to connect with me they can always reach out for a chat i don't charge for these chats i just want to connect with people and see can i actually help you can i not i never do sales calls because i don't believe in that i can either help you or i can't and i can point you in the right direction whether that's working with me with somebody else or just giving you tools to shift it yourself it really depends on the situation i just want to connect with people on a human to human basis you know um, so yeah, there's the, the healing journeys are available, the books are available, and then um, I have the program that I run with people in person so far that might be automated as well at some stage, but right now I can't give you a if or if not or when. And then there is the retreats. The retreats is my absolute favorite. And again, I understand not everybody can just travel to Australia, but this is where I really thrive because this is where I um can really feel that connection with people and uh, i have got a hundred percent success rate with these retreats nobody has ever walked out not feeling transformed and not feeling like 
wow, I get it now. I feel so much better. I feel I'm in charge of my life again. And out of all of that, because I thought, okay, that are healing journeys and this and it's that and it's the retreats, where do people go to after that? I felt I needed something where they can come to and connect. So I'm about to actually launch my membership and the membership I've named after my second book, which is Happy Healing. So that's where we catch up on a fortnightly basis, where we do coaching calls, where we can literally connect, give those nudges, give those, you know, hold them accountable for what they have learned or share tools that others have used. It's a real connection point and always with the focus of healing and moving forward and uh, changing your perspective. So yeah, there's a lot more structure. Eventually, I'd really love to go overseas with my speaking and my retreats. But for that, I want the boys to be a little bit older. They're 12 and 14 now, so I'm not quite ready to leave them behind when I go overseas or take them with me because they'll be, just be bored, to be honest. <laughs> and who's going to look after them there, you know? So, yeah. You can take me as the nanny. <laughs> what, a, what a bright future, <laughs> <laughs> What a bright future you have. It's just, it's just wonderful to hear. Thank of you. your own moving forward story and how you want to bring, you know, everyone kind of, you want to help other people with their journey through, through the tough times, but also to yeah. see that there's happiness and that there's a future out there for them. Yeah. Thank you. No, thank you. So um, this is basically the end of the um, interview. Did you want to add anything or did I um, miss something that you'd like to mention? I think you've done an amazing job. I think we've ticked all the boxes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for listeners, I'm going to post all the links um, to the website, the TED Talk, the article in Mamma Mia, the books <laughs> in the show notes and the Facebook page. And I'm just honoured to have, have had you here today. And I obviously think that you're proof that widows can do so much and that we are unstoppable when we're empowered and have <laughs> properly grieved the death of our spouses. So yeah. thank you, Marie, for coming on. It's just been a, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Nikki. It was an absolute delight for me too. Thank you.